I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. I'm going to give the audience what I think they want. They want chasing, they car crashing. They want the cops to bend the rules to get the job done. They want the boy to get the girl. They want the good guy to win. They want the bad guy to die. Hopefully in the biggest explosion the budget will allow. But most importantly, Senator, they want to walk into a theater and for 90 minutes forget the fucking mess that you have left of this nation. Go get your bubblegum. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Hello and welcome back to All Out of Bubblegum, the podcast. And because we have a new David Fincher possible action movie but mostly a hitman movie coming out the killer we are delving into another classic killer movie collateral a 2004 michael mann neo-noir uh, incidental low stakes action film starring jamie fox tom cruise jada pinkett smith tupac shakur's soulmate and mark ruffalo uh javier bardem and peter berg i think is in this yeah yeah, um, Peter Berg. So, uh, with me are hosts Marty and Rudadol. How you guys doing today? Hey. Yeah, doing all right. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Very excited. Apparently. Two cups of coffee hitting yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, Peter Berg, co-star of Adam Sandler's Going Overboard, I believe. <laughs> Bruce McGill is also in this. That's right. Oh, I love yeah. Bruce McGill. Yeah. When he shows up in a Michael Mann film, that's great. That scene with him and Wings Houser and the Insider, it's just cinema peaked right there. Wipe that smirk off your face. I know him as uh, Van Damme's boss in Time Cop. Oh, I actually know him mostly as uh, Jack Dalton from MacGyver, if anyone. Mm-hmm. If anyone out there remembers MacGyver. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that, was my, that was my shit growing up. Yeah, it kept it went in. MacGyver was like in reruns uh, over here for uh, like I don't know, like up until like ten years ago. You would just oh yeah, kids love MacGyver still, so just keep right that on. on the air every day after school. Yeah, I I rewatched MacGyver like ten years ago. It was for a while. I think it was ten years ago. They had it on IMDb. You could just watch it, mm-hmm. and uh, love that show. But uh, Bruce McGill, uh, I think about, uh, what's that, the last Boy Scout. Oh, yeah, he's the guy fucking Bruce Willis' wife, right? Yep. You know, like, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, his wife has some interesting tastes in men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think he and Man goes back to, like, uh, season two of Miami Vice. It's, uh, what's it called? The Buses Don't Run Out Here, I think. Yeah, yeah. One of the very best episodes of uh, Miami Vice. So it makes sense to bring him Took around. Took you guys two and a half minutes to start talking about Miami Vice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I try and resist, <laughs> but, yeah, Rudolph brings it out. I'm like, yeah, well, yeah. Miami Vice is a tight show. I love that show. I have a, I have, I have, there's going to be more references to Miami yeah. Vice. Just wait. I was afraid of that. Yeah. No, but also because... Uh, my Blu-ray, my German Blu-ray of Miami Vice, uh, the movie, the Michael Mann movie, comes with the theatrical cut, the director's cut, and the buses don't run out here. Oh. Like, those are the, yeah, on three Blu-rays. So that's... Uh, that's fun. 
cool. I don't think I don't think Man directed that episode. It's just it's just a bit weird because there's a season one episode which is basically the basis for the movie. Yeah. Uh, the one Smuggler's Blues with the guy from the Eagles, Glenn Frey. Yeah, Glenn Frey, which I don't think it's a very good episode. Miami Vice hot take. <laughs> I was really disappointed by that one, and also the Glenn Beck song that causes the motifs throughout it kind of sucks. Okay. So, I think in the case of Collateral here, we've got um, Michael Mann. Kind of, you know, you you kind of expect him to do those kind of sun drenched um, Miami shots if you're if you're looking at it. Um, in a, I don't know, like associative way where you're like, okay, this guy, the guy who did Miami Vice, he's going come here, he's making a movie in LA, neo-noir, it's going to be palm trees and sun and everything, but this is all night, which is really cool to me because I was just thinking about when I was watching it last, how different it is from his night shots in, uh, what's that other one? Thief where L.A. just had a whole different feel in the 80s. And then you watch this, and it's still this overpowering night in the movie, but a completely different look and feel, and definitely not the sun-drenched neo-noir that you would expect from the guy who did Miami Vice. Yeah, and this is also, I think, his first movie that's like he's shooting fully digitally. There's some, some digital yeah. in Ali, I think could be wrong about that but and some film in this i think so oh well, yeah it's mostly digital though this is yeah so he kind of he flipped yeah it. this is the big big shift though and when and he's just he's kept doing that uh ever since yeah when it came out i remember what he was talking about that now that, that was the big oh this is this is gonna be the future everything's gonna be digital let's see how it looks mm, well i guess and we're gonna I, see now uh, ferrari is gonna be man's come back to film I guess or at least even if it's shot digitally it's not going to be shot digitally like this is shot it does not have the it doesn't do the like with the, he did with Public Enemies where it's like uh, an acoristic that it's shot like all handheld and digital but it's really old schooly. well uh, it's interesting to bring that movie up because I think Public Enemies is just a hideous movie and this movie I was surprised looks pretty good yeah i love the way i love the way that this one looks completely fits the way it looks okay so this movie is really about uh, jamie fox character max and he just has a really rough night as he's forced to take a hitman around all his uh, targets but it's kind of fun like i think the movie is is a fun ride as a as a viewer, especially you open it up and you go, that's Jason Statham, that's the transporter, giving him the package in the beginning of the movie. That's such a weird cameo. Like, do you think who yeah. who who brought that up? Like, who was the was Michael Mann? Like, yeah, I want I want the the guy from the the transporter. You watch that the the Corey Yoon movie? I really love that movie. Can you get me that guy? My understanding was that they were gonna have him just pop up in movies and, and play this kind of character that would just show up uh, in that kind of role. 
but then Transporter was a success and it kind of launched Tatham's career as an action guy. And they couldn't just put him in little tiny roles anymore like that. And not as a fun wink because I guess they decided it was too big. He was, you know, too well known now. Mm. And, you know, the, the tongue in the cheek was is a bit much for everybody else's style. Yeah, I don't know why, though. I would have loved to have kept seeing him and pop up and things. Because this one came out between the first and the second Transporter movie. Uh, yeah. Well, did you love it when he popped up in Transporter 3? <laughs> By no. Oliver Megaton, the worst <laughs> action director alive? No. But this I... is not the the shit on Oliver Megaton episode, although that could be no. every episode. We'll get there. Oh, yeah. No, this is a, honestly, for me, it's a praise Michael Mann because. I like this movie substantially. In fact, I would say I love it. I also love this movie. Like, uh, straight up might be in my top ten movies of all time. Favorite movies. Like, that's how much I love this movie. Uh, But it went completely under the radar for me when it came out. Like, I think I discovered it by accident. Like, just two, two, three years later when I I found... um, only the DVD. It didn't have a cover, and so all it's I, I just had was like, oh, this is just called Collateral, and I know nothing else about it. Just play this DVD, and I was like, holy shit, what's this movie? I I love it. Yeah, I hope it's that's the Arnold Schwarzenegger what? movie where he plays the fireman. Mm. <laughs> so my understanding is that uh, you did not love this movie. Me. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I really, really liked it, but not as much as you two. Well, how many times have you okay. seen it before? Oh, this was probably only my second viewing, second or third. Yeah, okay. Well, okay. I've seen it like, yeah, 10, 15 times. I love this movie. And I feel like it's so fast-paced, too. I just just put it on, and I just feel the time flies away. Yeah, well, the movie itself is just under two hours and it really books i i really like um the relationships in it um i guess I, I i feel like i get it more now when it came out in 2004 i remember just i did not care about jamie fox and his limo business and whatever and, and, I, and I was watching it pretty uh, superficially i suppose because i was just like yeah yeah let's get to the good stuff let's let's move on and uh now that i watched the last time i watched it uh, which was yesterday i was just like engaged with with uh, the relationship there right like five minutes in and jada pinkett smith and jamie fox are fantastic right in the, right away yeah, how yeah. good is that scene like you it, yeah you immediately fall in love with her and you want them both to succeed together like immediately yeah fantastic yeah yeah there's one thing about this scene though which is my main my only nitpick with the movie maybe is that they're listening to a groove armada song from like two years prior to the movie and he's like so you like the classics (laughs) and it doesn't make any sense but then later when he's driving alone when tom cruise gets in the cab he's listening to bach so it's like clearly yeah Someone in post-production just went in and was like, no, we need a different sound for this scene. 
because it doesn't make sense. Like she and was like, switched oh, she she used to play classical music and it was like they were listening to Groove Armada. Like there's no, and he's like, oh, I bet you played wood instruments. Like, I'm sorry, there's no wood section, wood like woodwind section in the in Groove Armada. What is <laughs> it's the complete disconnect between the dialogue and the soundtrack in that that scene. Only thing that bugs me with the movie. Okay. You know, it's funny as I didn't even notice that. Oh, yeah, I noticed it on like the, you know, seventh viewing or something. I noticed the, the Bach later on. Yeah. Like it's, I mean, it's very overwhelming actually. And my only nitpick with the movie actually also has to do with the, the sound. And that's uh, towards the end when they're on the, the, the train car. Mm-hmm. I thought the score was a little um, overbearing. Okay, but that's well, it. Because yeah, I, I, I see that. it more. To me, it's a minor nitpick. But yeah, I see other people too. Like the most common complaint about it is like the soundtrack and that it feels very, very, very scattered. That it's like just weird song choices that don't doesn't seem to be like a a through line but i mean that i don't know it doesn't make sense i guess like there's different locations just so like natural choices i guess yeah well you know you go they go to the asian bar or the asian club and they're playing like a korean version of ready steady go and that's pretty fun so i i mean i like most of the choices i think i i just felt that I wish that the ending um, was a little more like the ending, uh, which it kind of borrows from, of uh, uh, King of New York. No, okay. I thought you were going to say where they, where it. No, where it's just well, they do the same thing, I guess. There, where it's just yeah. the the ambient sound of, in heat, it's the airport. But in this, it should just be, the sound of the train cars. Yeah. But they, for whatever reason, they they layer over the score, and I'm like, that's just much right here. It it should just be tense and and quiet. Mm-hmm. But that's uh, again minor nitpick. Yeah, but then as you say, like you really, I love the Jamie Fox character, and he's just really relatable character setting it up, kind of like with the whole. I don't know what to say. Like you don't just a. Uh, sort of like failure to well fear of of making the commitment in fear of the failure potential failure. yeah well he's he's all about low risk yeah to, to such an extent that he has found himself kind of trapped in a endless cycle where he has the same conversation with every single passenger about how he's gonna move on from this this is just a temporary gig and then he says he's been doing it for twelve years. Yeah, that's uh, but so, yeah, also in just in one of the opening scenes, why is is just Debbie Massar playing one of the unnamed passengers who just like is just arguing in the backseat? It feels like such a weird cameo, or what you call it? Would you rather had uh, Martin Scorsese in the back of the taxi? Oh, uh, well, it's funny you say that because uh, this. The the part was the writer wrote it wanting De Niro to play Max. Oh, yeah, that was his. 
his his original uh, thought behind it, but the studio was like immediately was like, no, we want a younger younger actor, and I mean, that guy went on to make I Frankenstein, so. Who knows who's who, laughing now? Who, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> who knows who had a better, a better ideas, him or the studio? Yeah, I'm gonna go with the studio on this one. I don't know if I would have, if I would ever recast this movie. You could do it differently. You could play it differently. You could have somebody that uh, more um, often plays a heavy, as say like Vincent. You could do that, but I think what tom cruise brings having i don't know i think he played a villain in interview with the vampire i think that's the only thing he'd ever done prior to this as a as a out and out bad guy um he brings like a, a like a charming confidence to the role that i don't know if you if you had somebody like like I think the other one I heard was Russell Crowe yeah Russell Crowe was the for he I think he was the one to kind of he showed interest in the script, and that's what brought it forward to like uh, where it was sort of going into production. And then he pulled out, and by that point, Michael Mann was on. And he was immediately like, "I want Tom Cruise. Give me Tom Cruise." So Michael Mann was the one who approached Tom Cruise. Yeah, because uh, the movie, it, 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 I understand, it's like Russell Crowe showed interest in the script, and then went to the studio, and then Michael Mann was brought on as a producer first, and he. Uh, shopped it around to some directors like uh, Scorsese and Spike Lee uh, looked at it but uh, they both ended up passing in the end and uh, then Michael Mann said okay I want to direct it myself but, but then Russell Crowe had some other commitment uh, had to pull out and uh, then Michael Mann's immediate first choice for replacing him was uh, Tom Cruise that's a cool cool choice just um, it's so interesting to see Tom Cruise do this, especially at the time it was very interesting. First, it's weird thinking this now because at the, when I watched this back then, I thought, oh, he's like playing an older character. He, You know, he's like embracing age in a way. I remember thinking that. Now I watch it and he just, he feels so young to me in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think also yeah. it's like, it's aged very well in a way this casting yeah because of how he's become like known as like this super dedicated professional on set too like his movies and he's so he's so dedicated dedicated to the movie craft now and uh like yeah like he just like sort of like the last real movie star and he wants to do all his own stunts and everyone's always fully committed at the time he was just like a a superstar but now it's like yeah. okay well yeah, this is the kind of professionalism. He shows the kind of professionalism to movie making that Vincent shows to well, killing people. Yeah. Yeah. And the um, the work he does in this with the gun is actually used in uh, gun trainings. Uh, yeah, well, it yeah, the the like he the clip of him from this movie is used yeah. as sort of like uh, instruction videos. The maneuvers. Which particular clip? Uh, it's when he with the Yohomi sent my briefcase. Okay. He does the. It's called the Mozambique drill. The two to the chest, one to oh, the head, the two to the chest. Double tap to the chest, one to the head. Yeah, I know. No, it's it's because they're so close. That's what makes that one special. Yeah, yeah. He 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 shows perfectly how to execute it in a 
in uh, that space. I believe there was something yeah. similar with uh, Walt Kilmer in Heat. Also, when in, during the downtown shootout, he reloads uh, his, his his gun, machine gun, during the firefight, and that's also like a something that's clipped that's been used as a sort of like a ex, like just as an exercise, sort of like shown to be like this is the perfect execution of this reload maneuver, and that's like. Uh, man just like forcing his trainers no his actors to go through like rigorous uh gun training yeah well if you are on you know action twitter as as much as uh i am i'm just reading comments i often see the terms uh tactical action and that's you know people a lot of it right now uh, a lot of the hullabaloo is still about john wick and this is very similar to that. It's not in the um, eighty-seven eleven style necessarily, but what his movements and even you can watch behind the scenes video of him doing stuff, just like uh, the Keanu Reeves video that blew up him training for that. And you can watch Tom Cruise doing a very similar thing for this. You know, he the it, it's really to me it's less about the realistic nature of it and more that the actor put in the work, and you can tell. Yeah, and this is yeah he's uh, so good at doing it in this one that they're like show you this one to to teach you how to do it basically yeah the yeah. the one to what to one to the head two to the body thing well two to the body one to the head I guess is the order you yeah. go yeah two in the chest one in the head yeah it's they call it the Mozambique drill they call it some failure drill too I think but. The original, it's like it was, they say it's like uh, it was a mercenary, a Rhodesian mercenary called Mike Rousseau who did it at a shootout in a, at an airport in uh, Mozambique. That's when like people became most aware of it uh, first and uh, adopted it. It was like, well, because it's so effective. I don't know how, how true that story is, but that's like the, like print the legend. And uh, the <laughs> Mozambique drill is, is the legend. If it's the truth, I don't know. And uh, Michael Mann's been using that for a long time. You can date it back to, you guessed it, Miami Vice. <laughs> yes, uh, I was waiting for it. I, I uh, could just feel it coming yeah. uh, ret- in the air tonight. Return of uh, Return of Calderon Part 1. I don't know if you remember that one. With uh, yeah. It's actually the second yeah. episode in a row where we bring up yeah. that specific episode. Um, <laughs> because that's also the episode where the lieutenant gets killed. But, yeah, it's the, um, the one with the blonde assassin who's like he's from brazil but he he's the whitest guy you've ever seen i wonder what his grandparents were <laughs> up to in the 40s uh yeah where they show how they get there yeah but then yeah in the opening scene there that's uh too like he gets cornered by a cop and he's like drop your gun and then as soon as the the cop relaxes himself a little bit because the guy drops the gun he also just the quick pull two to the one two to the chest one to the head sort of uh move so yeah it's just something Michael Mann's been been interested in in a long time, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Before this, people were shooting other people in the legs and thinking, "Why don't they die? Why don't he die? What are we doing wrong?" <laughs> oh, I know. Shoot him in the chest and the head. No, I think it's just a security thing, basically. Like if someone wears a vest, and you just shoot two in the chest, and then oh, it turns out they're alive. 
Yeah, the yeah. so many action heroes of the eighties would just be dead because of this. <laughs> They're always pulling off the coffin a little bit and pulling off the bulletproof vest. Oh yeah, I got a couple little tiny bruises now. <laughs> so uh it but for me it's not just the uh the tactical action, but just how Tom Cruise moves in general is very interesting in this. Oh yeah. I remember seeing a review back when this came out where somebody called him robotic, but I, I think it's just, I think it's, it's stiff, but it's fluid. Like right after he shoots the guy in the Asian club, just that, that turn and walk away that he does. I'm like, yeah, that's just great movement there. You know, Tom Cruise always moves well, but in this movie, I think he's just particularly great. Except, which makes why that scene where he jumps on the chair. Yeah, it was that was exactly <laughs> what I was going to say too, in the climax when he jumps on the chair and face plants. Well, it's great because that's where everything's falling apart for him. So, like, yeah, suddenly not moving so well. Yeah, that's he loses his cool. I I was wondering if that was planned or not while watching. I don't know. It, yeah. it looks like an accident because it's so. Like such a stumble. Like I feel yeah. like he's gonna try and do a thing where he jumps on the chair and then over, but the chair just completely flips underneath him. But he, you know, he keeps moving and I'm like, yeah, that's great, that's great. Uh, I should have watched. I considered watching it with um, the commentary, Michael Mann commentary, but it'd been just long enough since I saw it last time that I said it. Ah, no, not no commentary this time. So maybe. In the commentary, uh, I, I would if I, I did watch that, I would have known it. But insert clip here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't planned that this fall over the chair, but when uh, when he did, it's one of those accidents. Uh, I love it when, it, when something happens that's unexpected. It's kind of an anomaly. There was a fan. He said his name is Vincent. I sometimes ask myself, what are, what are the characteristics of an event or an activity that are going to make it f- simulate something real or feel to me as if it's real? And it's the things that don't go exactly according to plan. I tend to be attracted to them. But it definitely feels... Uh, so organic when it happens that it feels like it was an accident and then well as we know now like tom cruise wouldn't break a take for anything he broke his leg and they put that in the movie yeah i'm I'm not sure that's tom cruise doing it himself breaking his leg throwing a chair through a window and then jumping through no that's definitely him that's like you you can see his face in that Mm. shot okay i mean he's like oh I want to hang to the other side of a plane and film a movie in space, but it's like throwing this off his chair. I don't know, buddy. That's a bit much. <laughs> well, through a window, though. Yeah. He's like, I got a, I got lines, man. I got I'm not crossing that. Probably not real glass. No. Oh no, sugar glass. But still, falling on it, you can really fucking hurt yourself. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. They did a lot of uh, live rounds training for this one, so. Like the glass feels the least dangerous thing they're doing. I really liked that moment. Speaking of breaking through glass, when Jamie Fox throws the garbage can yeah. at the window. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Such a uh, weird moment of comedy in 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, because the scene is so tense. He's trying to get in the building, and then he throws this thing, and his little, the pause that he makes is so good. And uh, that's the other thing. Uh, Jamie Foxx is amazing in this movie. You're watching it, and, yeah. uh, and you see Tom Cruise, and you're like, okay, yeah, he's, he's fucking fantastic. And then Jamie Foxx kind of quietly steals the movie away as it goes along. And I think that's an incredible feat. He is so good in this. Uh, yeah, just incredible. Uh, he, he joins uh, there. Actually, he joins um, Al Pacino for me in a in a like a weird club of. They both got Oscar nominated in lead and supporting in the same year, and they both won lead, but they won. They should have won supporting instead because they're so much better in the other movie. Oh, is this this was the year is that, that he. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross for Pacino then? Uh, yeah, sure. It's much better than Scent of a Woman. I hate Scent of a Woman. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not saying Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross is Al Pacino's best performance, but I'm saying it was the best Al Pacino performance nominated for an Academy Award in 1992. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, was Jamie Foxx nominated for this one? No. Yeah, for this one. Yeah. And then yeah? he won hmm. for uh, Ray. Yeah. Oh. Which is, I mean, well, sure, he sounds and looks like Ray Charles, but... I always say, though, that the Oscars... Tyler Hackford is a, a not a good filmmaker. The Oscars do not uh, award people for the best of what they're doing. They award people for the most at what they're doing. So that's that's the best way to look at it. You're like, yeah. no, is that the best editing? No, but it's the most editing. Is it the best acting? But no, it, but it's the most acting. Yeah, when someone looks like someone they remember from real life, they love that. Oh yeah, you look like a guy. What a that's so good. Yeah, they're big and they're loud. That's why him even being nominated for this is kind of low key incredible because uh, it means that they note that other people actually were like, "Wow, he's actually fantastic," and they noted it because he is not overselling anything in this movie he's very realistic he's very um it, it's sort of his performance is fairly subtle yeah and uh it, it by the end of the movie you're like you totally believe he's this guy as opposed to that's jamie fox like you can watch jamie fox in an interview and it's a completely different guy but that it's not that he disappears it's that he he translates that character so well. Yeah, and he he doesn't really he doesn't have any sh- super showy moments. Like, I didn't watch the Oscars in two thousand and five, but I I I wouldn't know what there uh, his clip is. There's no like big scene. He doesn't have any big scenes. He's just just great throughout. The closest he gets is his uh, you know, when he crashes the car. Yeah, yeah, when he's talking to himself. Yeah. That's uh, that's about as close as it gets to a, a big moment for him, because everything else is just subtle. And I love it. I love this movie for that. I love that they let they do that. Let let the actors, um, just play in that way. Yeah, I have no idea how much uh he was just getting. Also, just um, uh, I would say how much just that the fact that Ray was always obviously dominating the awards, whatever that year. If how much like. He just also 
like kind of rode that wave into also supporting like if he didn't have a have that big movie also giving him the attention would have been oh, more so comfortable ignoring him the academy just were like well yeah people keep talking about jamie fox and i see his name on the ballot twice <laughs> well no but just like because he was getting all attention for raid and they also like okay well this guy's doing two two movies this year and he's great in both of them i don't okay. know i could be talking out of my buttocks it's hard to say i don't really like the academy so whatever yeah it's not my favorite i will just dis- i will discredit them at any turn <laughs> anyhow uh this is a. I just i love all that stuff um i love the little details in this movie um the last time i watched it here i noticed when he the ending of the movie when vincent and max are shooting at each other through the subway i realized that it was that exact Mozambique thing that um, is actually the reason that Tom Cruise does not kill him because he is so orderly that it it messes him up. He just shoots the the sub the he shoots the door and you see it happen if you're watching. You go back and slow mo it. He shoots the door and Max is blind firing through the windows. Yeah, but the that center mass thing that. Tom Cruise is doing is why he messes up. He just shoots the door, and you see the little pin pinholes in the door there. And I'm like, that's a cool detail. You would not normally see that in a in a, in a movie where it's just like, oh no, the squibs are exact. Yeah, there's a lot of those really really subtle uh, setups and payoffs. Yeah, well, even the conversation that he has with Jada Smith in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, she's telling him, oh, I, I have a strong stomach and, and this is what I do before I go out there. I mean, that's what he, it's like he uses that when he goes and talks to Javier Bardem and when, then when he, you know, puts it together at the end to take on Tom Cruise. But he also takes a lot of the stuff that he learned from Tom Cruise when he goes to talk to Javier Bardem. Yeah. Actually, that that would be his Oscar scene, I think. Yeah. The when he's talking to Javier Bardem and he he switches his attitude. Oh yeah. Yeah. What well, is a great moment because you do kind of cheer a little bit inside when he it's like you tell that guy to put his gun away and I'm gonna slap his bitch ass with it. Yeah. <laughs> Bardem yeah. is great as well. I'd forgotten he was in it, but oof. yeah, yeah. I think I I didn't. I think I watched this movie like three, four times before I realized that was he was in the movie. Even well, I had done a like a short film with my friends back uh, around two thousand four, two thousand five, and I'd forgotten that I used Javier Bardem's performance for my performance as a. Um, as like a drug dealer, I think is what I was. <laughs> I was watching, I was like, yeah, that's pretty funny. I totally forgot about that. When are we watching and discussing that film? Because <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, because I also, I forgot, well, I didn't forget this time, obviously, but uh, like Mark Ruffalo playing the cop, 
I saw I didn't I didn't realize that until like the third viewing. I was like, oh shit, Mark Ruffalo's in this too. Well, he is almost unrecognizable. The slick back hair and the goatee. Yeah, he looked like Johnny Depp. Yeah. Mm. My role was actually Walt Kilmer was cast in that part originally. But then he had to do reshoots on Alexander, I believe it was. And so mm. Ruffalo came in and replaced him. Too bad for Val. Yeah. Well, and so Bardem, I think he sh- we worked one day on this movie, but he spent like months uh, on nailing a Mexican accent on his English and Spanish. Because he's, he's from Spain, yeah. and he didn't yeah. want to sound like a Spaniard playing a uh, Mexican. Like he wanted, like he didn't want Mexican people to be like, ugh, they, he's just Spanish pretending to be Mexican. So he, <laughs> he worked on having a, a Mexican accent to both his English and his Spanish in that one scene. This is one of those films where they do the, you know, the adage, you know, there are no small parts. Yeah. Yeah, Michael Mann doesn't let you do small parts and doesn't let you slack on uh, any details. No, but you can tell by the actors that they cast. Yeah. Like, there are no small parts because the small parts are Javier Bardem and Bruce McGill, Mark Ruffalo. It's like and all Peter Berg. And Peter Berg. Let's not forget him. Battleship director Peter Berg. What else? I don't know what he he did a lot of the Mark Wahlberg movies. Yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, and the uh, the rundown or Welcome to the Jungle. Wow. Oh. Very bad things, which is amazing. He's done some good movies. That is a second week in a row name drop for also for the rundown. <laughs> yeah, that's still a fun movie. So I'm gonna mention. I'm just gonna say Spencer Confidential and try to make that into the next one too. There you go. Never saw it. Looked terrible. That's your homework. <laughs> but yeah, Jamie Foxx is so good in this, but they 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 viewed so many actors for this part, I believe. Uh there's a there's a clip that went viral of uh where John John Leguizamo says that he he basically had like three callbacks to this and it came down to like him or Fox. Yeah, I could have seen Leguizamo doing this. Yeah. I don't know if he would have been as good. Maybe not. Maybe. Um, I actually think he's an underrated actor. So, yeah, he could have done it. Has he worked with Michael Mann? No, I don't think so. I think they would be a good fit, actually. Yeah. And I know they say Cuba Gooding Jr. claims he read for it. I don't know if if, uh, uh, if that's true, but um, apparently that was they didn't want to re-team Cruz and Cuba and have that be like a a thing that played into I don't know reviews or reception or anything and um, Michael Mann's first choice for the part was Adam Sandler fuck Ooh. off maybe <laughs> no because this this would have that would have been right after Punch Drunk Love yeah but still come on I don't know no way like, right <laughs> I cannot imagine that one I would have liked to see it I also would have loved to see Adam Sandler in Inglorious Bastards, which we didn't get. Yeah, that's one that I definitely would have liked to see. I'm just trying to imagine um, him talking to a woman in the cab about the limo. What was it called? Uh, Island limos. And not sounding just dumb just as not, hell. Yeah. Not <laughs> doing a voice. Yeah, one of his SNL voices. Yeah. 
I want to do my own uh, limo company. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna put little palm trees on the dashboard. Like I just, I don't know what he's gonna. It would just sound terrible. I, I, mm. That's how I imagine it. Even though he, you know, Sandler has done some really good stuff, so I don't know. He he probably could do it. I think uh, maybe I'm underestimating Sandler's abilities. I don't know. I I just don't think I could see him in this role. When he's called upon, he's these delivers in uh, dramatic roles. I think, yeah. But it just goes to show how good Jamie Fox is. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it, that's perfect casting, I think. And he, oh, so Jamie Fox playing against type, really, or I don't know. If, no, I guess it, it was it was already his type, like with the Jamie Fox show and everything. But I mean, when I think of Jamie Fox, I think of like Django Unchained, the whole like really. Was so like abrasive, uh, abrasive, and cocky kind of performance. Yeah, and this is the complete opposite. Yeah, yeah. There's even look at his physicality when Tom Cruise sits next to him, and he sort of shrinks like into himself. And I don't know. Uh, like it's it's the opposite of Django actually, because Django is just you know chest out neck sticking up and just watching watching him just kind of like shrink into himself when tom cruise is talking to him um yeah i don't know i could see adam sandler doing that i guess or the scene where he's talking to his boss yeah even yeah even there yeah well tom cruise um yeah it's absolutely fantastic in this one i'm a big fan and this is one is one of his most different roles. Like like we said, it's one of the first uh, times that he played a villain. But it's it's almost weird that he wasn't nominated because he's like this big superstar who does something so different from what we're used to. Hmm. Yeah, I don't understand. It, it, there's always certain actors that the academy it, it feels like they're they're trying not to nominate them or give them accolades um, for a long time leo dicaprio i would have said that about but maybe they just thought we already gave him something for a few good men you know we're we're, we, we're done tom cruise was not nominated for a few good men no. at all uh, Magnolia was his last one. Oh, that was it. No, uh, he it was um, what's the one called? Born on the Fourth of July. Yeah, and uh, Jerry, Jerry Maguire. Oh, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, and he was a front runner for uh, Born on the Fourth of July. Like Siskel and Ebert had him locked in for winning, basically. Yeah, but then but then Daniel Day Lewis also sat in a wheelchair, and it was a really stiff competition. <laughs> I think yeah. Magnolia is the one he should have won for. Uh, and that's what I feel like where they gave him his, like, going out of his comfort zone, doing something different nomination. And after that, it also felt like that was, he kind of gave up on it. He was like, okay, I'm not, this was my my shot, and I'm not really interested in uh, playing that circuit anymore. Yeah. But And you can tell because he's, once again, he's doing the most acting in that one. Yeah. Yeah. 
but he's really great in the scenes with Jason Robards, where he's where he's doing very little acting, where he's like being. Well, oh well. Anyway, he's he's a, lot, he's a lot better than Michael Caine is in the Cider House Rules, a performance and movie that nobody's thought about since 1999. <laughs> and how good does the name Vincent fit? Yeah, well, that's with just the Vincent and Max like duo. Actually, I really like. Yeah. With as far as names, but Vincent feels very lone wolfy, which he he basically is. Yeah. Like I was afraid that I would constantly think, "Hey, that's Tom Cruise," but no. As soon as he says, "I'm Vincent," I was like, "Yep, Vincent, that's him." Such a perfect name for the character. He is the devil in this movie. So I don't. <laughs> he, he could have called himself Lucifer, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but I like. Um, I was gonna say earlier, this kind of the movie is ultimately a very hopeful movie. I think it's it's about human connection. Yes. Um, Tom Cruise is just full of shit. His character is. Yeah talking nonstop about how nobody's connected here or anything, but that's all Fox is, is connections. He's always making connections with people, talking to people. Yeah. And yeah, that's ultimately what saves the day. Yeah. Like it, it even though it have been a really Jada Pinkett's hopeless movie in a way, but Michael Mann's like, no, I'm, I'm going to, I'm seeing the humanity in this. Yeah. And even though Jada Pinkett Smith's, entire case is is gone she has no witnesses now um you know that case is destroyed javier bardem's getting away with it and that's it yeah i guess he is yeah i hadn't thought about it well the movie doesn't doesn't really care if he gets away with or not it cares about about max uh saving uh Sex Dungeon Queen Jada Pinkett Smith. <laughs> um, regardless, uh, again, she's still good in this movie. Oh, she uh, is. I know that she's making a lot of headlines uh, for not acting, but I think she's great in this. No, yeah. she's really good in this. Uh, she's just doing a lot of crazy interviews right at this moment. Yeah. I have not stayed up to date with my... Uh, celebrity rumor stuff whatever so i don't really know what's going on with her now there's You're no, no for it there's no rumors she just did an interview where she just keeps saying a bunch of stuff like oh yeah me and will smith i haven't been married for years we've been separated for a long time and uh something about oh we built a sex dungeon in our basement and just a bunch of weird stuff stuff like you don't need to say this why why would you call someone up and just give them this information <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's so weird the stuff that you know i don't want to i don't want this to be about that <laughs> when i yeah. call people up to tell them about my sex dungeon it's it's weird <laughs> but when she does it like hey please don't print this no. in a major publication yeah <laughs> No, but I, in, she is a bit underrated. Like, her filmography is really solid, at least to, like, a point. Yeah. Maybe this was the point. Collateral is the last last good thing she did, but, like... She did Ali with Michael Mann, right? 
Yeah, yeah, she was in Elite 2, which she did uh, Matrix sequels. She did uh, Bamboozle, Spike Lee. Um, Set It Off, really underrated uh, thriller. Oh, the F. Gary Gray, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Queen uh, Latifah, yeah. Lady Heist movie. I still so, have to see that one. It's a great movie. Really underrated. No love for bad moms. <laughs> no. Very little love for uh, the <laughs> women. Oh, that one, yeah. No, but she is great. Uh, you know, one of those folks that came out of the you know, the early 90s, you know, that, that Spike Lee era of films. You know, I think she was in Menace to Society. And so yeah. She just, she's one of those that just come out of this. And um, she's great. All, all, all the better for it. Uh, cool cameo in Scream Two, and so. Yeah, that's right. She's in Scream Two as well. Yeah. Yeah, she's the equivalent of the Drew Barrymore. Yeah. Scream Two. That's how quickly her star had risen, at that time. Yeah, I, I only remember the scary movie two version of that scene, where. Uh, <laughs> also great. Yeah. <laughs> Sean Wayans gets a dick in the air. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Not they, a good they, they 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 spoof the uh, rowdiness of the of the crowd, but somehow it's still less rowdy than in Scream Two. Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, the about the humanity of it and like the hopeful stuff. I saw someone describe this as it's Michael Mann's uh, My Dinner with Andre, except like one of them also kills people for a living. Instead of going to Poland and getting into weird theatrical productions, like low-key, low-rent theatrical productions and having religious experiences through it. Yeah, well, maybe, you know, sometimes the Polish theatrical experiences were the people we killed along the way. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's funny. Um, I, I love that it it hinges on uh, a philosophical difference. Um, it's sort of uh, the best possible version of the cliche manic pixie dream girl <laughs> situation where, you know, oh, there's this guy and he's in his comfort zone. So he's never going to move on. But then one day he meets somebody in his cab and whether or not you believe it's, Jada Pinkett Smith or Tom Cruise, <laughs> he gets pushed out of his comfort zone to a huge degree. Yeah, this is, but this is just like on a technical level, a perfect screenplay. Yeah, apparently written over a long period of time, but uh, and, and I guess you can feel it. It feels very tight, and I love that that it works. It's under two hours. Like I said, it just just moves and moves and moves until it reaches its inevitable conclusion and it's so weird because the guy never really wrote anything else good he's one of four credited writers on the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie and that's like the only other like properly good thing his name's attached to that is a bummer yeah he wrote Interceptor the one on Netflix one that came out Oh, I love that movie. 
It's fun, but it's like it's not good like Collateral's good. No, no. it's not the kind of movie. <clears throat> yeah, but then yeah, I Frankenstein was like his big swing and massive miss. Ugh. Bummer. But hey, you know what? If you can make one great film, I think that's that's awesome. Yeah, and yeah. he did make Body Armor with Matt McComb. The great movie. Oh, have you seen That's, it? Uh, I, I don't know. I watched a couple of Matt McComb movies back a couple of years ago. And I don't know if Body Armor was one of them or not. They they really didn't stand out. I'm just looking this guy up. Yeah, he ended up writing that Obi-Wan Kenobi show that's awful. Yeah, Friday Days of Night. It's a fun movie. Maybe yeah. Subterfuge is the Matt McComb movie I watched. I watched more than one. Uh, Matt McComb, not a, not a great action hero. Not some guy you all remember. Well, it's not a guy I've ever heard of. So. Oh, I mean, he's a stunt guy. He He's in a bunch of stuff. He was in the Matrix as one of the agents. Um, well, he's a stunt guy, yeah. And so he then he goes back. He's he was in uh, John Wick because he has history with uh, Chad Stileski because right? they worked together on Matrix Reloaded and stuff. Uh, but yeah, no, he's it's just a guy, just a stunt man who had like uh, I think got like four or five movies, DTV movies at the end of the nineties where he was like the star. And yeah. then you know he never he just fizzled out and went back to being a stunt man. Well, he took a shot. Yeah, it's mm, right on. Yeah, just one of the too many DTV action stars I have in my uh, bank, <laughs> my brain of unnecessary knowledge. It was necessary just now. So, mm. was it? Was it really a necessary digression to talk about <laughs> Matt McComb for two minutes? I think we could have stayed on topic yeah. on Collateral, in fact. As long as we're not talking about Miami Vice, I'm I'm, I'm fine. Mm. Oh, yeah, about Jamie Foxx, then, because they did Michael Mann's follow-up to this was Miami Vice, the movie. <laughs> yeah. And uh, apparently in that one, uh, Jamie Foxx, I guess he kind of works in the movie, but he was apparently really uh, not happy working on that one. He had a real attitude after winning his Oscar, and... Uh, I felt uh, location shooting was too dangerous. Didn't like the loose kind of schedule they had on it, and apparently walked off set. And like the lab, half of that movie, they shot it without him and shot around him. Well, it's funny because I guess that means that movie's the exact opposite of this, where it's just about complete disconnection. Miami Vice is all about vibes. <laughs> I I recently listened to an interview with Jorik van Wageningen, who was in Black Hat, and apparently Michael wow. Mann is just fucking crazy because he was telling like yeah. the story. They had everything planned. They had like locations reserved months ahead of time, and then just the night before, on his way to the hotel, Michael Mann drives by a building site, calls his producer, and says, "Yo, listen." We got to shoot here tomorrow. 
Like, yeah, it was something similar with Miami Vice, where he basically kept like two or three possible day plans at all times, and was like, uh, "Today I'm feeling this one, and we go here and shoot." Yeah, and, but they, yeah. So any day he would just be like, "Oh, maybe we go here, maybe we go there." Yeah, that would drive me crazy. Also, he's apparently, he, apparently, he's almost like completely deaf too. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, and then, but uh, like uh, Nolan and other guys, he hates doing ADR, so he he only wants to use onset sound, but he can't hear the sound when they're recording it. So it's like uh, apparently that's why a lot of his movies have really weird soundscapes. <laughs> I don't know. I'm excited about uh, Black Hat getting the Blu-ray with the director's cut. I've been putting off watching it. Because I'm waiting for the direct cut. Oh, I have the um, uh, uh, what's it called? A, a sem- no, not uh, w- when something's made to appear like something. A facade. Uh, assimilation. Is that okay. it? I have the, the well. The, I have the facsimile. Facsimile. I don't. Know. I have the cut that Ryan Swen did. That's a facim facsimile. Facsimile. <laughs> <laughs> One of those, yeah, of the director's cut after he watched it based on, uh, yeah, sort of recut. Yeah, because it was screened somewhere. It was, went, I think it showed on TNT. Oh. It's something stupid like that. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, I have um, a cut that someone made uh, that's uh, trying to recreate the director's cut as closely as possible uh, but yeah it'd be cool to see it on the on the actual disc as well but there's no date for it yet no no it drops in november i believe oh shit it's or officially it's, announced no it's coming from arrow oh i didn't even know that yeah, limited edition blu-ray and 4k separately i hate that that they stopped doing uh, them combined now they only do separately mm-hmm. well that goes my money there yeah, was uh, oh yeah go ahead it's all, all I say the, all these these blu-ray editions coming out that's it's killing me <laughs> so <laughs> it was nothing super uh, diegetic to the conversation that's okay now I just wanted to say there was one more uh, moment from the film that I made a note of yeah it's uh they get pulled over by the cops yeah and tom cruise is like uh, you gotta get rid of these guys or i'm gonna shoot them and he's kind of like um like what do you call it mm, fucking up jamie fox he's like oh now this guy has a wife and this guy is uh, married with children two kids and oh if you don't get rid of them i'm gonna shoot them that yeah. moment and you're thinking like, yeah, he's just bullshitting. He's just making shit up. But then the cop uses his ring to tap on the window. And it was uh, yeah, such a fantastic moment. Well, there's that's what I was saying before, where there's just so much detail in this. Yeah. Because you, you're, you're thinking like, like oh, he's just, he's, just he's, he's bullshitting. Like, there's no way he can notice. But then like, oh, shit, the guy does have a wife. Fuck. Yeah. Because there's also on the disc, there's a deleted scene. It's the only deleted scene that they at least have on there uh, with commentary. And it's um, when they're escaping from the 
after the club shootout, I believe. Yeah. There's like a, yeah. s- a scene where uh, Tom Cruise makes uh, Jamie Foxx drive to LAX. And then because there are more cabs there, so they can lose their tail by car, because he will get confused about which cab to follow, and they will lose their helicopter tail because they can't fly into airspace uh, near the airport without uh, previous permission. Oh. And so that was a scene where he said it was like uh, in the commentary, it's just like it's about really showing how professional Vincent is and like how he has a plan for everything, but that it just uh, the scene took the momentum out of the climax in a way. Yeah, yeah I can see it being cut for pacing. We didn't need it. We all already knew Vincent was a pro. Yeah, they're just reiterating what we already know at that point. Yeah. But it is interesting. You know, I, I like that. Yeah. Um, there's just there's so much of that kind of thing in the movie. Um, but yeah, mostly, uh, I'm just. I think the movie just works. It's uh, what I call a great low stakes thriller. Uh, the action when it comes is very tight. Uh, it's, you know, everything smooth works. Tom Cruise is doing like everything and you know maybe not throwing a chair through a window I don't know maybe <laughs> it's <laughs> but it, it, it absolutely works uh, I'm just missing a Tangerine Dream score that's it that would have been great you don't like Groove Armada yeah. and Soundgarden <laughs> or Audio Slave whatever it is actually I do like the Soundgarden song so yeah someone do a recut of collateral but use the uh, thief score yeah and then do a recut of thief but only use the music from collateral <laughs> and use bach in the first scene yeah just only, switch yeah, around in that scene they gotta, but i want to hear uh like uh, the roots playing while uh, james Conn is hanging out on the beach <laughs> well, yeah uh Great film, great Coyote. Um, well, I would highly recommend anybody watch it. Oh, yeah. Uh, how about you? And it showed up in spots, let me see, shared 107 on their top 215. Right on. All right. Well, I, I would definitely recommend this. It's uh, oh yeah, one of my all-time favorites. It's uh, one of the, like, you want to get to know me watch this movie it's uh you get an idea of my taste of movies watch this one and then howling 2 in a double feature yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's my two favorite movies i would say uh, it's not uh, howling 2 is not my second favorite movie this one even isn't even my favorite movie but i do love this movie one of my all-time favorites yeah this is a uh, top tier michael mann uh top tier tom cruise top tier jamie fox uh, you know, the list goes on. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, is there anything non-top tier, Michael Mann? That's just like the keep. Public Enemies. I don't know. Public Enemies looks ugly, but I'm warming up to it. Yeah, I need to rewatch it, but I don't know. I walked away just kind of shaking my head after that one. Yeah, but I rewatched it, and then I I thought I was gonna hate it because I hated it when I saw it in cinema, 
Then I was like, hey, this is a lot better than I remembered. Yeah, maybe I'll have that. I, I remember thinking Collateral did not look good. And now I'm having rewatched it I was uh, in 4K, no less. I mean, this looks great. I don't, know, I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah, it was very similar with Public Enemies, where when I saw it the first time, I was very taken aback by the digital style of that one. But now that I'm sort of like used to like, okay, this is the Michael Mann look. I'm like, okay, I can I see more of what he's doing here. Like interesting, more like a, sort of a bit of a like parallel between like the old times and more like modern style and stuff. Okay. There's layers to it. But uh, then I think I'll wrap this up. Yeah. yeah. All right. Sure. No idea what we're doing next time, but we'll see you then. Surprise you all. Visit our Patreon. Join the Discord. Uh, other than that, have a great day. Goodbye. Bye. Oh, shit. I think he's dead. Good guess. You killed him. I did nothing. The pavement was his enemy.